The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome to a brand new week here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Mike here with you and my guest in the studio today, a person that's been on a number of times before, but we were chatting about this before we began the program. The last time you were physically here, Robert, was when we were kind of in that lockdown mode of uh, the COVID, COVID pandemic. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about Robert Leatherwood, and he is a major gifts officer. And that means he raises funds for a major ministry called the International Cooperating Ministries, ICM for short. And uh, he is in Florida. Uh, he is all over Florida all the time. I mean, you you travel a lot, don't you? I do. You know, what we're doing at ICM is that we're, we are literally building churches around the world. We're in 103 different countries. How do you like this mission statement? You're going to love this mission statement. All right, I like it already. <laughs> there you go. We have a vision of putting a healthy church within walking distance of everyone in the world. Now, that's a great uh, way to say that. Well, I'm telling you, we've got 12,000 churches. We've been doing this for 37 years, and uh, we've already got 20 countries completely blanketed with a church within walking distance. A church within Every walking distance. Every 25 miles in some of these countries. Church. Wow. And that's all over the world, like you said, every nation. Every... Well, we're in 103 nations. Yeah. 103 nations, but that's your goal. Yes, yeah. a church within walk, a healthy, now we, a healthy church. Yeah, within walking not just distance. a church, a healthy church. No, we, we we measure our disciples whether they're scripture-engaged disciples or not. Okay. So that's you can measure it a hundred different ways, but if you ask, are they scripture-engaged disciples, you've got a little bit of a head start. All right. Now you're doing this. You're, you're also writing books. You've oh, yeah. written four books already, and you've got three of them, if I heard you correctly. Yes. Kind of in the hopper right now, that you're kind of in the process of working on and I just I admire that about you. Uh, you are one ball of energy. On top of that, I know that you've done a lot of fun things. You've, you've, uh, you're, you're a true Iron Man. I am. <laughs> in the sense of taking part in these as an athlete, and you're, you're in great shape, obviously. You can do that. I, I do a good job of bending over every morning and putting my shoes on. So that, that would be about my level of being an Iron Man. But you do it. In a great way, my we friend. We do this for fun. Can you imagine that? I mean, I literally pay money to do these races. Yeah, and, and, uh, and to hurt and be sore. I mean, oh, that's just man. amazing. But I, I tell you, it kind of brings us to this, the subject that we're moving towards here because as an, as an ultra-endurance athlete, you simply have to ask the question, how do I finish? How do I plan to finish, and how do I plan to right. finish strong? You know, there's two, there's two fears that an ultra-endurance athlete bears in his heart at all the times. Fear number one is that I'll expend too much energy at the front end and I won't have any energy left to finish. That's like the racer, the person running a race and they just run out of gas on they that last They just run lap. out of gas. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't calculate well. Why? And they're unable to finish the race. That's his number one fear. The number two fear that's also running around inside his head is that every ultra endurance athlete is trying to use maximum energy so that he can finish strong and literally come across the finish line using his last breath. I mean, all energy should be expended. You know, when, when if, if you have any athletes out there, coach used to say, leave it all out on the field. Yeah, right. Leave it all. On. What they're saying is in, in, in track terms is, you know, you need to kick it in. You need to run fast. You need to run hard and you need to, to sprint across the finish line. And I can tell you, I was on track team in, in high school and coach would position himself about 25 yards in front of the fishing line, finish line. And he'd always be there and he'd be screaming and he'd be screaming at me. It didn't matter whether I was in first place or last place or middle place. He'd just be Leatherwood, kick it in. And I still hear his voice in my head Isn't today. And when I cross, I, I do triathlons on a regular basis. Oh man. doesn't matter how I've done. But when I can see the finish line, there's two things that, that happen. Number one, once you see the finish line, you're not allowed to walk. You can't, you can't walk anymore. You see it, you have to run. And I always sprint across the finish line. Wow. 
That's something. I've never had a love for running. I can't imagine doing what you've done, but I appreciate it so much, you know, and I, I see it. I see it when I'm driving down the road. I see people out there running, and in my mind, they're running on a perfectly good day to be doing something else. But that's that's just the difference in, the, uh, like you said, a, an extreme endurance athlete that loves to push themselves to that point. Well, what happens is, is that uh, as, as a man of God, is somebody who's chasing after Christ, a man who wants to please the Father, a man who's also committed to just meditating on the scriptures, we're always asking ourselves, what is the, the metaphor here? Yeah. What is it about running that we can translate over to the imagery of our faith walk? And so Christ does this all the time. He's, 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 telling parables right. that are just so literally racing uses a great imagery for us to just kind of make the spiritual dynamic equivalent. What's, what's going on here? So when we're talking about finishing strong, we're talking about applying that to our faith life, not just a race, but right. are you, have you done things well? Have you thought things well? Have you planned to finish strong? Because finishing strong in the race of faith doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. it's intentional. Nobody crosses the finish line strong by accident. People don't finish strong because they were lucky. People don't finish strong because they were in the right place at the right time. You have to plan to finish strong. There's no other way. Matter of fact, if you don't plan to finish strong, you can almost guarantee that you won't. That's a good way to say it. It's right. If you don't, if you fail to plan, you've planned to fail as the there you go. Is. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, and so I, I agree. This is not going to be something that we just fall into. No. It's not going to be something that is e- easy either at that point. I've, I had this. I had uh, a lot of people that would imply to me that, oh, when we get older, we'll be tempted less. When we get older, we'll have you know less drive. So you're not going to want to sin the same way. And that's just not true at all. <laughs> I mean, we are full. We are full of ourselves all the way up until the day we die. Yes, unless we're putting that self to death and crucifying the nature of sin inside our bodies. I'm just convinced, my man. It doesn't get any easier until maybe one day we're in heaven. I mean, it's it's going to be a fight to the finish. It is a fight to the finish. I, I've talked to men who are older than me all the time, and uh, is it ever over? And uh, they're, they're, they're telling me, I haven't discovered it over yet. These are guys that are older than me. And I said, okay, it's not over. You know what? I asked Christ about this. And he says, you know when it's over? When you're looking me eye to eye. Yeah. That's right. when it's over. That's right. That's right. When we're in heaven, then we can say, okay, yeah, it's over. And now there's a whole bunch of things that have just begun and will be beginning for the rest of it time and eternal. But until then, man, we're going to be fighting the fight. I mean, the race was used by Paul. Sure. He used it in a wonderful way. And we're, we're not to run to lose. We're to run to win. Sure. And that's what finishing strong is really all about, right? Right. Well, this whole idea is, is just kind of, was, I became sensitized to it. And uh, we've both been in the faith for a long time. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody how old you are, Mike. Oh, I'm old. You got me by just a little bit. Yeah. But I tell you the truth, <laughs> we've both lived long enough to where we've seen it. We've heard it on the TV. We've heard it in the radio. And uh, another, I just want to say, kind of one of these uh, more popular pastors has kind of fallen, you know, and they, they, the media takes it and they kind of blow it up and, and mm-hmm. it, it just goes everywhere. And, and it was one of those moments just several years ago when a very prominent pastor, he, he not only did the deed, he not only got caught in the deed, but he finally owned it. It was really nice. This particular pastor, and I'm not going to mention the name, but he he just says, yes, 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 this happened to me. Here's how it happened to me. And he, 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 was, he was smart enough to know. He says, this didn't happen to me by accident. He says, I slid and I slid and I slid and I stopped uh, paying attention and I stopped uh, my, my devotional life and all of a sudden, here's where I ended up. And so he owned it. It was, it was but it scared me because I've been running this faith, this race of faith. <laughs> Right, a lifetime here, and uh, and I'm not done yet, and uh, I don't see myself as somebody who can just say, you know, not that'll never happen to me, right? Because right. Uh, when you get there, you're kind of in a a danger zone if you come to the point where you say, no, not me. Yeah, I've heard that the the first moment you realize that you've said something like that should be a moment of concern for you because there's not a one of us 
are that are out of the grasp of failure. Not a one. Not a one. You know, I uh, when we when you called me and said, "Hey, let's 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 get together," uh, I told you a little bit what I've been th- I've been thinking about Solomon. Yeah. And uh, what scares me the most is that think about the profile of Solomon. You're talking about the wisest man who ever lived. Right. You're talking about a man who was the son of King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart. I mean, think about the advantages this guy had. He had a group. Well, he had a great father. He had a great example. He had a great, well. <laughs> well, you, you got to stop on that and realize that David had his issues he too. He had his issues yeah. too. But, but back to the, how is it that, uh, that you take Solomon out? Because the scriptures don't have a good end for him. It says that later in his life that his many wives, they, they stole his heart and they turned his heart away from God towards these other gods. And I, and one of the new versions of the Bible says that Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth. Solomon worshiped Molech. These are some of these foreign gods. And the old version, King James doesn't say that, but the new one does. And it it shocked me because I thought, oh no, how is it that Solomon could do this deed? And I'm thinking if it can happen to him, it can happen to any of us. That's right. You noticed when I brought that up, you said, hey, there's another guy. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I'm going to turn the tables on you here and ask you the question, <laughs> because let me interview you, because you had something to say here, because you said, Robert, I preached a message on this. So just tell us a little bit about Finishing Strong and what how the Lord touched your heart with well, it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, basically, I was reading the Bible. I was commissioned to speak at our church in Gainesville. And I was just reading the Bible in my devotions, and I was in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. And it starts off by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And we know that wonderful uh, chapter. I mean, I think everybody knows that chapter. Uh, he, He had so much of an encounter with God in that moment. But that day when I read it, what stuck out to me was not Isaiah and his need and Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and all of that. What stuck out to me was Uzziah. And I realized, why was it so significant, his death, that it was given almost as a time marker for the chapter? So that uh, I went right off into a study and I said, I know I've read, he's kind of one of those chapters that's back in the Chronicles, so I need to go back and I need to read it again and be refreshed. But I read it this time with a, with a goal in mind to find out what was so significant about Uzziah that his death was a time marker. That was what I was doing. So as I found out, I, I, I couldn't believe what I discovered. And then I went and did further research. And basically, when he was a young man, he inherited the throne from his father, who was not all that great of a king, and was put to death. And here he is, a young man, as a king of Israel, and he excelled in everything that he did. He was a very talented man. He was a man, Uzziah was, that was able to understand farming. He was an inventor of farming methods. Yes. He kind of was one of the early uh, users of irrigation. So he dug like cisterns and had like an irrigated a little trough thing that was going on. And as a result, everywhere he planted, it just f- prospered. And he had all these vineyards that were like second to none. And then it says that he also understood weaponry. Yes. And he was a bit of a blacksmith. And so he he was an inventor of weapons and made of what apparently was one of the first catapults ever used that could, the Bible says, that would hurl large boulders. And not only all of this, but the scriptures at that point, the early, the early Uzziah, was known as a, a, a king who feared the Lord. He loved the Lord. He trusted the Lord. Yeah, and every, and God blessed him. And, and he then, kept doing this. And it, it, he, he did this decade after decade. Now, a lot of kings, as you know, you, they, they weren't in long. <laughs> Their tenure was less sure. than a U.S. president's tenure. <laughs> it wasn't too good. But he was there for like, what, 50 years or more. And it was when he was 68 years old and had been serving since his teens as yeah, king like of Israel. Three yeah, years of reigning. Of reign and blessed reign by yes. God. It says, but when he, 
as he grew strong, he became proud. Yes. And that was the turning point right there. And then as I read and studied, and, and as I told you on the phone, I also uh, dug into Josephus, because somewhere in one of my studies, I read that Josephus had commented greatly on Uzziah. I said, ooh, I have Josephus' works. So I went out and I dug into that work and found a whole bunch of information. And so then I read it front to back and thinking, what did Josephus you know, add to the story? And he added a lot. And basically what he was saying was, is that when he tried to do this one more job description than he shouldn't have done. He had been a farmer, yeah, a king, yeah, uh, a, a warrior, yeah, a general, amazing. Now he, he, he got the idea that he wanted to offer up a sacrifice in the temple, doing the role that only a priest could do. And it was in that moment that the priests of the temple, they stopped him. And they said, you can't do this, good king. You can't do that. God would not have this. And he became angry. According to Josephus, what happens is the moment when he was so angry at being stopped in his pride and he lunged for the priest and the moment he did, a great earthquake happened. And according to Josephus, an earthquake so substantial, Robert, that it destroyed Every good thing that he had ever done, the wall that he had built crumbled. The, the, the uh, gardens that he had fertilized and watered and grown, they're destroyed wow. in this earthquake. Wow. And the building that he was in cracked to the point, according to Josephus, that light came in and shone on his face. And wherever the light hit, according to Josephus, he became leprous. Yes. And the, the priest led him out. And he spent the rest of his days alone. You know, uh, Mike, you had mentioned Josephus, and I went ahead and I, I, I read it. I you read, did. Uh, yes, I did. I was like, I, I've got to hear this. You know, it's, it parallels what the Bible says. Yeah. He's just adds some extra details. Yeah, right. But uh, definitely you were using him and the simple idea. Think of how good he starts off. He's trusting the Lord. He has faith with God. Yeah. He's got he's got wisdom like Solomon because all of a sudden he's got all these inventor uh, things that are happening in his life. But then the pride creeps in Yep, and he became strong and uh, he wasn't able to finish strong. Right. You know, and uh, that's what that was that uh, you drove me to research him as well because uh -huh. the stories are out there. So I'm starting to ask a different question. And that question is, is how can we ensure that we do finish strong? That was the question that, that God had me uh, ask myself, you know, because I'd been in ministry at that point. And when I think when I studied this, I was 62. Okay. And so I realized that. Just a young kid. Yeah, just a young kid. And well, let's pick up on this story. Let, let's talk about this more when we get back because we're up against a break. My guest today is Robert Leatherwood and he is with ICM. That's the International Cooperating Ministries. He's an author. He's an awesome dude. I'm glad to have him in the studio. I'll be back with Robert in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. My guest with me here today is Robert Leatherwood, and boy, I really love getting to talk with him. There's something about it. We spent some time recently on a phone and found ourselves spending about a half an hour just talking about the gospel, talking about the things of the Bible, and in particular, talking about finishing strong. That was the, uh, the thrust of our talk, and as I was mentioning at the end of the first segment, I studied all of that about Uzziah when I was like 62, and I realized I've got several years ahead of me. Yes. And 
I, what I learned from Uzziah's life, Robert, is that just because you've done well for the first 50 years, let's say, of your life, that does not mean you're going to end well. It doesn't mean you're going to be strong at the very end. And, it, and in his case, he had been a good king serving with favor and God's blessing all the way up until he's age 68. And on one, in one moment, a turn of a clock from yesterday to today, he made a fatal bad mistake, a decision that was to change his life forever. Now, his heart obviously was already aiming toward that and had been for who knows how long. But that's the key. That's what I learned from him. And I thought, I've got to watch, I've got to be vigilant and watch my heart, watch my life. That is exactly it. It's, uh, you know, the, what Jefferson said it this way, he said, the, uh, the price for freedom is eternal vigilance. Mm. Mm. Isn't that good? That's great. Um, so it does. It, it takes a lifetime mm. of vigilance. You, you have to actually plan to finish strong. I'm telling you, uh, at our church, we're finding people who are retiring. And a lot of people not only are retiring, but they're retiring from church. Yeah, if you're of. retiring from church, do you realize you're actually planning to finish week? That's right. And, and I find some who are retiring to church. They've been saying, I can't wait to retire because I'm going to spend more. But that's not the majority. I'm finding more and more people who are just, they're making decisions at the end of their life to enjoy their pleasures more. And uh, instead of investing in mentoring the next generation. Oh, my. And uh, so, and, and, and anyway, I, I don't want to go there on that one. I do want to talk to you a little bit about this question that we asked, which was, how can we ensure that we're going to finish strong? That's right. So God had, had sensitized me to this very question and this, an appetite for how can I finish strong? And who's written about this? You know, there was a, a great guy back in the Promise Keepers day. His name was Steve Farrar. Yes. And um, Steve Farrar, he wrote the book, Finish Strong. And uh, I wanted to share a few. I mean, there's a lot of people who've written on this. You and I are not the first. Right. And I am preaching on this this all the time now. Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects. I'm, I'm just calling my message, Finish Strong, the 14 leading indicators that predict your destiny. And so um, what Steve Farrar does, and I just want to use uh, his terminology here because he comes up with four different types of finishes. You can finish strong, you can finish so-so, you can finish poorly, and you can not finish. He calls it, you know, just not finishing. And uh, and in and, and racing, yeah. we call that a DNF. Right. Did, Did not, not finish. finish. You right. got it. Yeah, mm -hmm. You can get one of those by your name, you know, so we don't want that. And uh, so with these four, I'm just going to tell you what happened as I read his book. And here's a little bit of research because I'm just going to pass it on to you. Steve, died ah, a little over a year and a half ago. Mm. And, um, but until then, this was the focus of his ministry. I mean, he just really grew up around this whole idea of helping men finish strong. So he'd identified a, a study done by a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks. And Howard Hendricks, had, uh, who was a great mentor and professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and uh, later in his life, he began to be concerned about some of the pastors who were graduating and yet falling into moral failure. Matter of fact, the story was happening more and more. He began to develop a heart for how can I help these guys recover? But as soon as he's asking the question, how can I help guys who are in this difficult portion of their life? They've taken a stumble. Now he's asking a better question. How can I prevent this from happening ever again? I mean, these guys are come through my seminary. I'm overstating his, his ownership here, but these guys were in my classes, right. he's thinking, and, and they're getting wiped out. What am I doing wrong? 248 pastors were interviewed who all had a moral failure within two years. That's quite a huge that number. That is terrible. Oh my goodness. So what he begins to do with the research here is that he found out what do they have in common? What do these 200 and I guess it was 48, 248 pastors, all moral failure, all in the same time span, can he learn something? He found four things that these guys all had in common. Number one, all of them said that they had admitted they had lost their first love. Hmm. They just weren't spending time. I mean, think of it. You're a pastor. These guys were still reading the Bible a little bit. These guys were doing their research. They were doing their study. They were preparing messages. They were carrying out the duties of a, of a, of a pastor, but they had lost their first love 
yeah. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. They all even did that. They said, no, the oceans aren't what they used to be. Yeah. <laughs> There's not that. They, yeah. I don't have a connectedness and right. I don't feel close an intimacy. The second thing that they all had was none of them had a small group. Zero. All wow. of them had no small group that they were accountable to or encouraged by. Uh, number three, they were all spending too much time in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Now, let me help you understand that. Obviously, uh, in this particular study, these were uh, pastors who were taking a moral tumble. And um, they found out about 80% of them actually had a female that they were counseling. And, and they were and either, either they were divorced or in a rough marriage or, and all of a sudden they were doing pastoral stuff. Hey, I want to help you. I'm here to be your pastor and I'm going to walk you with you through this. And that all of a sudden turned into something a little bit more. Yeah. The other it's 20. A slippery slope right there. It is. It can be. Uh, the other 20%, it wasn't necessarily counseling. Maybe it was uh, the secretary or somebody else in the church. And, but the, the, they just said it this way. They were spending too much time in the wrong place. And, uh, and so that contributed. You know what the last thing they all had in common? They all said, this will never happen to me. Ugh. This could never happen to me. Yeah. I was not, they, they, they all got blindsided. Yeah. They thought that they this. They thought they were impervious. Yes. Yeah. So um, let me give you another illustration here because I've just given you a, a research story, but uh, we're going to compare that to insurance policy. Do you know when you uh, uh, try and sign a insurance policy, a life insurance policy, think about what they're going to do. They, they got some questions. They want to meet you. First of all, they're that's not, right. they're not, they're going to meet you. They sent somebody by my house to yeah, check me out. That's right. Maybe do some medical tests even. Oh yes. Yeah. What are they going to, the questions they're going to ask you? Yeah. Are Do you drink? Right. Are you smoking? Right. <laughs> are you overweight? <laughs> Okay, so these are the big ones right there. And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to evaluate you and then they're going to assign a risk factor to you. And uh, so, you know, if you if you just only have one of these in your life, you have a a, a moderate risk factor, mm-hmm. you know, but if you have two of these in your life, then it's it's a it's a higher one. And then finally, uh, that last one, I mean, you're just dead meat. You know, you're not somebody that they want to insure. The person that they're looking for is not drinking, is not smoking, is not overweight. You know, these people with a good hereditary from mom and dad, and and those people are what we call a preferred risk. That's Mm -hmm. the actual terminology in the insurance world. That's right. Are you a preferred risk? So my point is this, that if you kind of look at your life and you begin to ask yourself, how many of these safeguards do you have in your life? Because we're trying to finish strong. Number one, where are you at with your intimacy with Christ? Are you maintaining a living communion with him? Are you actively engaged in, in, a, in, a, in a routine, a daily routine where you're finding uh, intimacy with the scriptures and an intimacy in prayer? Is that true of your life? Are you cultivating that? Number two, do you have a small group? Mm-hmm. Do you have an active small group? And is it not, I'm not just talking about your small group that meets for Monday nights on football games. I'm talking about a small group that's actually designed and thoughtful of encouraging each other to grow in the faith. So a, 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 a godly, God-inspiring small group. Right. Okay, the right Providing time. accountability. Yes, and encouragement. Right. Do you have that in your life? Number three, uh, where are you spending your time? You know what I mean? Uh, Just look at yourself and just evaluate yourself. Say, okay, how much time am I actually spending in the house of the Lord? Uh, Because, you know, it ends up happening as we get older. We get more toys. We get more time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're only in church every other week (laughs) because we're out on the boat and we're out having a good time. So are you spending your time in the right place? And where are your priorities? That's really what that question is. Mm -hmm. What is the thing that dominates your life and that you let dominate your life? And you love it. It's your hobby. Is God your hobby? Yeah. <laughs> and then the final one is, is just that l- level of pride. You know, uh, do you, do you think it could happen to you? Do you think yeah. it could happen to you? So yeah. if you just look at your life and you say, well, that could never happen to me. Okay. That's danger. Number one. Um, do you have a small group? No, I don't have a small group. Okay. Uh, uh, number two. Um, how about your morning, uh, your Delicious. daily routine? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, not so good. And, and where are you spending your time? So at that point, you know, you can just look at your, you can evaluate yourself right there. If you don't have these in your life, 
you are a train wreck ready to happen. Right. You've actually set up a situation where you're, you're designed not to finish strong. Mm-hmm. But if you'll take these four things that we're talking about right here written in this book, I think you've got a chance to uh, hedge your bet and ensure that you do finish strong. Now, those are the things you, you cover those things in your book as well that you're writing right now, right? Right. Oh, man, those are great. I mean, you know, you think about I think I think there's this uh, maybe it's it could be called just foolishness on the part of men that would think that they are somehow not going to fall in that kind of a trap. I mean, I know, I know the sadness of that reality, what you described about counseling. Yes. I can think of more personal people that I know that dropped out of ministry because of falling by the wayside, just like that. And it's well-documented, Sure. but sadly people see that. And what do they do? They take the response of number four on your list yeah. and they think, well, I'm sorry it happened to them, but it could never happen to me. You know, I just want to turn the corner here a little bit because I, the, the study that I referred to was about pastors, but I don't want you guys just to think this is a pastor deal because every, That's good. every person out there, you know, and, and I'll just speak directly to fathers at this moment. I mean, fathers, you've got the same battle too. Your battle is for your family, right? You know what I mean? And that you'll finish leading your family well. So you'll finish your faith walk well so that you can finish your family faith walk well. And so, you know, business guys, if you're out there and you are trying to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven, if you're trying to, I say it this way, are you going to try and put a dent in the darkness? Mm -hmm. So if you're out there and you're, you're kingdom minded, you know, um, you, you need to look at these four areas of your life. And I just want to encourage you again. I said this at the very beginning, you don't finish strong by accident. And, uh, you know, what's the, why not pursue a small group? Why not? I'm telling you, it will make the difference in your life. It'll make a difference in the quality of your life and it'll make a difference in your ability to finish strong. Right. Especially if you can find a small group where you can be truthful and vulnerable and just share these guys, your story. And we learn, we're living in a time when it's so easy to fall by the wayside in these bad habits. It may not be with a physical person, uh, like a secretary or a counselee or whatever, or somebody in your office. It could just be through the internet. And sadly, yes. I mean, that is more available. And it's shocking, isn't it, to see how many men are not just occasional uh, uh, partakers of porn. Yes. But they are regular in, in that kind of stuff. And that's, that's just a, it's a one-way ticket to destruction. You know, one more thought here, because I had already brought this up, but let's just look at, again, your own personal intimacy with Christ. Because, I mean, I've been walking this faith for a long time. Mike, you've been in the faith a long time. I imagine a lot of your listeners have been in the faith for a lifetime. And how do we keep that flame alive. You know, we're trying to talk about, you know, keeping your flame alive in your marriage, but I'm talking about keeping your flame alive with Christ. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I can tell you about as far as predicting destiny, and we'll talk about this more in the second, the next segment, but one of the leading indicators of predicting destiny is your habits. Now, let Mm. me give you this by Samuel smiles. Okay. This is a little syllogism. It says, if you will sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a character, you will reap a destiny. That's good. You are the sum total of your habits. And so I just call on everybody out there, you know, really take a a stronger inventory of your personal intimacy with Christ. Because sometimes I've met people who say, you know, I have a daily devotion. I say, how is it? (laughs) You know, because sometimes we can, I've done daily devotions. And I've done daily devotions that just weren't that good. I've even been in small groups that weren't that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to take good care to say, okay, it's not just a small group. It's got to be the right small group. It's not just that you're having devotions. It's that you're maximizing your devotions. And you can really answer that question most likely. How can you evaluate your, 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 your intimacy with Christ? Really ask how your prayer life is. Mm-hmm. very different than asking how much you're engaged in the scriptures, because I find it very easy for people to get engaged in the scriptures, but they don't have this intimacy in prayer. And so you can just check the gauge of your heart and say, what is that like in me? Right. I really had to be honest, my intimacy in prayer and you mark it. And then at that point you have to 
decide that you are going to make time to show up and just ask him questions or just sit in the silence and say, God, what do you want to say to me? Right. I don't know, but I, I, that's what I got to say about that. Man, I tell you, prayer is such an important thing. We've seen this recent move in Asbury and that all began with kids just doing exactly what you're saying, wanting to become intimate with God and lingering in prayer. And as they lingered, God did the most amazing thing. He showed up in their hearts. And then he showed up in a tangible way in that room. And when people would enter that room, this is the report that I'm hearing. Yes. They would walk in and feel the tangible presence of God. And man, that's something that I want. I, I want that in my own life. And you know, I, I think one of the things that keeps us from that is so easy in the natural to do what uh, one leader once told me. He said, most people, whether they're pastors or not, I agree with what you said. This is a word for every dad. It's a word for every worker. It's a word for every young man. It's a word for every grandpa out there that we need to be not so concerned about the breadth of our outreach and ministry, but the depth Yes. of our ministry with God. And that's something that's vertical, the depth. It's dealing not with other things. It's not what other people see. It's not the external stuff that we like to get all bent up about. It is our relationship and the depth of intimacy that we have with the Lord. You know, God made provision for this when he created the world. You know, the Sabbath was actually established at creation. Mm -hmm. The seventh day is a day of rest. Well, in order to build on this intimacy with God is actually taking time. And he gave us that time. Are, are you honoring the Sabbath? And when you honor the Sabbath, are you just honoring it with an hour on Sunday morning? Or are you honoring that Sabbath all day? Right. So really we have to make time. And that goes back to that planning. That goes back to that thought about how am I going to finish? My guest today is Robert Leatherwood. We'll be back with one more segment in a moment. Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. A great discussion with my friend Robert Leatherwood from ICM, that is the International Cooperating Ministries. This organization is uh, doing a work around the world in different nations, and you heard Robert's own description about how that they have a desire to build a church, to put a church, to place a church uh, within walking distance of every community that they can be in. And a hundred, how many, hundred and how many uh, nations are you We're in? We're in 103 nations. 103. And we just finished our 12,000th church building. Wow. And we are transdenominational. That's probably not the right word in our culture today. We are interdenominational. We are, <laughs> I don't want to say non-denominational yeah. because we're, we are working with over 250 denominations. They're all Christian. They all buy into the Luzon covenant. And, uh, but yeah, that's part. really a great work. And I know that you work with them. You travel, you inspire people everywhere you go, not only with the work of ICM, but you've written several books. You've written four that are already published. You're working on one more, at least one more. You actually said you're working on three more right now. I don't know if you're doing that simultaneously or are they just kind of like queued up in your mind or what? Well, I've got an outline. The, the, the one we're talking about right now, Finish Strong. Finish Strong. The yeah. 14 leading indicators that predict how you'll finish. Okay. And so we've been talking yeah. about a couple of those today, and I want to talk about a few more of those next. Well, let's jump in on that. All right, let's do it. All right. So what's, we've, we've talked about these four things that can take any man down. If those are concerning issues in sure. your life, if you don't have it, go ahead and pick up from there. Well, and then we also talked about, all right, so we, we said, listen, you need to have intimacy with Christ. You need to, that needs to be regular. Number two, you need to have a small group. Number three, you need to check your priorities and then number four, check your pride, because uh, if you're at a position where you're thinking it could never happen to you, you're, you're already, a you're already in danger. Place. Yeah, that's right. The, the next thing that I mentioned about the leading indicator are habits. 
you know, what are your, you know, you will be your habits. Your habits are preparing you for your destiny. If you're spending a lot of time on, on, uh, shall we say the, the sofa and you're, you're binge watching TV or you, I, I know people pick up their phones and I call it doom scrolling. And the doom scrollers are just, they're going through their Facebook, they're going through Instagram, they're going through YouTube and, 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 and they're just burning up time like that. That's right. And uh, so you can just look at your life and, and, and say, okay, what are your habits? Because your habits will ultimately determine your destiny. Right. That's this, one of the single greatest leading indicators. The second leading great indicator out of all 14 is do you have a mentor? Hmm. Oh, yes. Discipleship. Yeah. Your, your mentor will actually determine your destiny. Wow. And uh, I'm talking about getting an active mentor. So I, I encourage people everywhere. I write about this. I talk about this. I preach on this. I speak on this. I do radio shows on this very thing. Because, uh, you know, the value of a coach, the value of a mentor, the value of somebody pouring into your life, you know, they, they always say it this way. You know, be careful with the crowd that you run with because the crowd that you run with is ultimately going to influence you. Right. They will. Well, guess what? You have a real powerful tool if you will recruit and find a mentor. And so I, I just want to talk about this a little bit because it's key to finishing strong is to have a mentor in your life, not for a season, but for a lifetime. Now, I don't mean a single mentor. I mean, I've had a I've, I'm a lucky man. I've had over 15 intimate mentors in my life already. Mm. And I've got an active mentor right now. One of my mentors, uh, he's 88. Okay. And uh, he recruited his uh, life last mentor at age 65 and had him until he was 82. And when his mentor passed away, because yeah. his mentor is a little older than him. But my idea is just simply this is you don't want to just plan to have a mentor for a season of your life, you always want to be having a mentor in your life, mm -hmm. a coach, someone who's ahead of you in the faith that's meeting with you on a regular basis. And I, I you know, I've talked about an active mentor. I mean, the least active that you want is, is maybe you can only get once a month. That's valuable, man. If you can turn it up to getting them twice a month, uh, weekly every uh -huh. week, uh, some of the most m intense mentoring is when you're meeting two and three times a week with a mentor. And uh, so this makes a difference. I wanted to just give you some quotes here. This was actually some research that was done. And because I want to just talk about this idea, because all of the ideas that you're bringing, especially to habits, do you realize that habits are formed with mentors? Let me tell you where you need a mentor. We gave you the uh, habit syllogism in the last section. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. Well, guess what? You need a mentor right there to make sure you're sowing the right thoughts. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an act. If you sow an act, you'll reap a habit. Well, again, that's where you need a mentor to make sure that that becomes a habit, not just a possibility of a habit. Mm -hmm. So you need mentors right there. But here's, you know, the, the habit that you want to have in your life. Let me just give you the statistical evidence for the value of coaching. This, um, here we go. To hear an idea. If you hear an idea, there's about a 10% chance that you will actually bring that to fruition in your life. So let's just say you've gone to a conference, you've gone to the seminar, you've gone to the live event and somebody there said something and it triggered you. You wrote it down and you said, you know what? He's right. I want to, I want to put that into my life. Right. You only got a 10% chance of bringing that to pass. It's just not going to happen just because you think it's a good idea. Right. Uh, listen, if you consciously to decide to adopt an idea, it goes up to 25%. 25% just by saying, you know what? No, I'm going to do that. Speaking it, uh, decide when to act on an idea. So now you've got the idea, you've heard it, you've decided to do it. And now you put a, a date on it. When will I do this? 40 percentile. You got a really nice chance of getting this thing done. But still uh, less than half. Less than half. Less than half. That, that's there we go. amazing. Design a plan and act on the idea. 50%. So now think about where you've gone. I like this one. The next one, this is, this is, I use this on myself all the time. Um, commit to another person to implement the idea. Takes you up to 65 percentile. Okay. That's so where that's, accountability you know, That's helps. accountability. You yeah. actually spoke it and said, Hey, this is what uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. Uh, but you're going to love this last one. This is where the mentor comes in. Have a specific accountability appointment 
with another person related to implementing the plan. So all of a sudden, you're not just having, you've got a mentor that you're meeting with to hold you accountable about this very thing. If you're meeting with that person regular, 95 percentile. Wow. That's the value of a coach. That's the value of having a mentor. Because I got news for you. You know, you're only going to be as good as your mentor. Yeah. Think about what's going on in the NFL right now. Right now, I promise you, there, there's all these coaches. Everybody's got coaching positions that they're trying to fill and they're going to get quarterback positions they're trying to fill. And why? Because ultimately they know this. If we got the right coach, we got a chance. If we got the right quarterback, if you're Tampa Bay, <laughs> we've got a chance. You know what I mean? So these two positions are, they are the talk on, on talk radio, sports radio right now. Everybody's wondering how are they going to mix it up and what's it going to look like next year? But we know that if we have the right coach, we've got a chance of going all the way. Right. If we got the right quarterback, we got to, it's, it's vital. And you know, the thing that I hear about that, these examples are so good and so healthy, but you even think about Tampa Bay a couple of years ago, they did get the right quarterback for their team. And you know what? He did it in what year one. Yes. You know, and that's now this is a guy that's not your average quarterback. Agreed. We understand that. But here's the point. Uh, we we need each other and we have to have a plan going forward because we're we're not going to stay the same age that we think we are right now. We're not going to stay at the same health that we might be at right now. We're not going to stay in the same strength to get the job done. We've got to realize that the time to act is what right now, right now and put that plan into effect. So, uh, Mike, I just want to share just a little bit here because it, it, I don't think it's we haven't just done you, uh, we haven't done a good service for your listeners just by throwing the challenge out of getting a mentor. Uh, I want to give them a little few cues. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, because most people are saying, okay, how do I get a mentor? And um, number one, find somebody you admire. Find somebody that you admire for just one segment of your life. I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got business mentors. I've got spiritual mentors. I've got marriage mentors. I've got different mentors because they don't all have the whole package. Mm-hmm. So find somebody you admire and uh, an equality that you admire. And then you, here's what you, here's how you do it. You approach that person because you know the person a little bit. Maybe you know them from a distance and you simply say, can I be totally just relaxed and normal? Could, could I go have coffee with you? I, I want you to know I've been watching you and I admire the way you handle uh, Christ in the workplace. I admire how you raise your kids. I admire how you handle your wife. And I was just wondering if you'd let me pick your brain. Right. Well, that's just normal as normal can be. I mean, that person that's just right. says, yeah, yeah. what do you want to meet? You actually complimented them. Uh, so they're going to go to uh, coffee or with you. And, right. and you, you need to come prepared and ask a few questions. Now, here's how you get a mentor. At the end of that meeting, you have to say these exact words. <laughs> You have to say, listen, you have any idea how much this meant to me? This has meant the world to me. Right. I've taken some notes here and I'm going to implement some of these notes. And I was wondering if we couldn't have coffee again in three weeks and I can just report back to you how it went. Try that's and, what they're going to and say. that's putting it into practice. That's putting it in practice. Well, guess what that person's going to do? They're going to say, yeah, yeah I, I guess we could do that. Now, don't press them in one week. Don't press them. You can't even get anything done in two weeks. Give three weeks, not a month. Three weeks, that's the formula yeah. because month is too long. I, I don't remember what we said, Yeah. But, uh, but they'll show up. At the end of three weeks, you know what you do? At the end of that session, you've written some new things down. You say, you have no idea how much this meant to me. I want to try some more of this stuff. Can we get together another three weeks? I got news for you. After you've met with this person three times, if there's chemistry, you've got yourself a mentor. And so you've captured one just like that. That's right. And uh, it's just not that hard. We've got just a couple of minutes left. I want to go back for a moment to your study on the man, Solomon, what you found. Give us in two minutes, if you will, some of the things that people would be maybe familiar with, but they haven't quite maybe tied together what went wrong in his life uh, that caused him to lose the ground that he had. Wow. You know, I've, I've been meditating on this for, and I told you when you called me, I've been reading on this and meditating on the fall of Solomon for, for five months now. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of little things that I'm getting for clues, but, um, I think some of it was, you know, he says the scriptures say specifically it was his wives, 
But why did he disobey? Do you realize the scriptures teach them? Moses wrote in there, you are not supposed to marry these, these foreign women. Right. Uh, but you know what I think happened in, in Solomon's mind? His dad. His dad had several wives. Did you know that one of them was a princess, mm. the, the princess of Geshur? And it was a foreign nation. And, and David married her. She was a wife. Matter yep. of fact, she, she was one of his favorite wives, even before Bathsheba. Uh, she was the mother of Absalom and the mother of Tamar. These are beautiful people. So I'm just imagining that, that David marries this beautiful woman from this other uh, culture. But I think Solomon was presented with the same question. What do I do? And uh, I think it was real easy for him to say, well, dad, be like dad. dad made an exception. Yeah. I mean, dad strategically married this woman to secure his northern border. And what do we find Solomon doing? He marries the queen of Egypt to secure his southern border. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just getting at this thing that, you know, whatever parents do in moderation, the children will do in excess. That's right. This is what happens in Solomon's life. Yeah. I mean, his dad does it in moderation. He has one wife who's foreign. Solomon had 700 royal wives yeah. from all these different places. Yeah. Boy, it's something to look at his life. I mentioned this to you when I think of Solomon. A, a person said he went from a person of a thousand praises to a thousand wives. And that heart can go down, right down the road of destruction when we turn and do things that God's told us not to do. You know, I, I, I thought about it. You, you're asking me what I've meditated on. Well, guess what? He had a thousand wives. It says 700 wives, 300 concubines. And you know what? He didn't have intimacy with any of them. He didn't have intimacy with any. That's why he fell. I mean, he fell because he was all alone. I think Solomon was alone. Hmm. He didn't have a wife. He had a thousand of them. He didn't have one wife. He didn't have a, and guess what? He, he being the smartest guy in the kingdom, uh, he didn't have a lot of good friends hmm. and his good friends. I don't think were intimate with him. You know, there was no prophets. You don't read about any prophets in the life of Solomon until at the end, uh, when it, the whole thing's breaking apart, but you don't find it. Man, I tell you, we're out of time. This has been fun to talk with you. Robert Leatherwood, give us your website. Yes, uh, you can go to greatwithgod.com. That's the name of the ministry. Or if you want to email me, just send it to robert at greatwithgod.com. You've got to come back. What, in a month or so, you'll be back in Orlando. we got to have you come back and, Let's and do, do another it. show. That would be my joy. All right. Robert Leatherwood, my guest today. Friends, we're out of time. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.